We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. News Talk 97.3 The Sky. This is the replay of last Thursday night's Alachua County Republican Executive Committee's Black Tie and Blue Jeans Barbecue. Let's get back to it now on 97.3 The Sky. Third District Congresswoman Kat Kebak. I have the distinct pleasure tonight of introducing my friend, Christy Nome, Governor of South Dakota. Yeah. I want to tell you guys a little bit of uh, a story about how I came to know Christy. I should call her Governor Gnome, but she's just one of the most wonderfully warm, honest, open people that you will meet in politics. And that's pretty rare. And so when I first met her, uh, she said, oh, no, call me governor. And I said, okay, and, or not, don't call me governor. I said, oh, governor. And she said, call me Christy. And, you know, since then it's been hard not to just call her a friend. But over the years, as I've gotten to know her, she has reached out during difficult times. She has checked in with holidays. She knows Matt's name and, you know, even talks about our chickens. <laughs> but there was one conversation that really solidified for me who she was and how real she was. She reached out to me one Saturday and said, hey, I have a book I want you to read. And I was like, well, thank you for thinking I can read. I appreciate that. <laughs> and she said, no, seriously, I have this book I want you to read. It's called Wolfpack. And it's by this soccer player. You may have heard of her. She's a gator. You represent the gator nation, right? And I'm like, do I represent the gator nation? And she's like, well, she wrote this book, and, and it's, it's got a great message, and I want you to read it. And I said, okay, I'll read it. So I hopped on Amazon, got it the next day, and it was a short read, an easy read. But the message was very simple. To succeed in life, you need to have a wolf pack. Christy texted me a couple days after I read the book, and she said, did you finish it? And I said, yes. She said, what do you think? I said, I'm your huckleberry. You got a wolf pack, girl. And from then, we started talking through difficult moments. We would text back and forth about things happening in our lives, in our country, in our respective jobs. Because, see, before she was one of the most conservative, amazing governors in these United States, she was a congresswoman. She served her entire state. So she was kind of a, a governor in training <laughs> in ways. They only have one representative. Two senators, one representative. And so in her time in Washington, she had done a lot of the things that I was kind of doing on my own, but not sure if it was the right thing to do. And she was telling me, hey, do this. You know, think about things this way. You know, the sacrifices that she made as a congresswoman, leaving her family on the weekend because there was no direct flight to Washington. And so it was this harrowing path to get to D.C. just so she could be there in time for meetings and committees and votes. The sacrifices that she made as a congresswoman 
were incredible, but it was all preparing her for the role that she has today as governor of South Dakota. Now, you guys have seen the commercials, I know, because she's trying to poach all of you to move to South Dakota. <laughs> and don't get any ideas now, okay? But we've seen the commercials where she's out there doing the jobs, you know, and people talk about, hey, oh, that's funny. She's, you know, being an electrician. She's doing the plumber job. She's the dental hygienist. You know what they don't show? Is her on her ranch, her family's cattle ranch. See, she took over the family business after her dad died. And she did everything that she could to make sure that it stayed in the family and that it prospered. This is a woman who has heart. This is a woman who is scrappy. This is a woman who is intelligent. She is a fighter. And she is the very definition of grit. So it is my pleasure, my honor, to introduce you to my friend and South Dakota's best damn governor, Governor Christy Noem. Well, thank you. That was amazing, taking her on the road with me. Listen, I love Kat. She texted me a couple weeks ago and said, would you ever come down and speak at my local Reagan Day dinner? And I said, absolutely. I'll tell you, one of the reasons I did is because I love her, I love her heart, I love her spunk. But the moment that I decided that Kat Kamak was my kind of gal was when this video went viral on Twitter. So if we can play this video... This is the congressional baseball game. This is my favorite moment in all of congressional history. Watch this. Did you see there this is the Kat Kamek. This is fantastic. Swing, and there is another nice shot out towards center field. Okay, there's somebody's going to be coming home into home two. base. Gonzalez, nice swing on it. It is going to bring home two. Actually, we may get a play at the plate. Oh. We are going to get a play at the plate. There she is. Bam! Out at the play, Brady. Play it one more time. Play it one more time. Because you really, she just wiped out that Democrat at home plate. That's a Democrat she took out. It's fantastic. Do it again. So that, you know, the, the Republicans play the Democrats every year. And yes, this is a little bit edited, but that really is Kat coming into home plate. So watch it one more time. Here we go. And here she comes. Bam. It's the best. <laughs> Who does that? Look at her. Look at her. She's like, yeah, hey, I'm sorry, dude. Get out of my way. It's the best thing ever. Like, that makes me so happy. So every year, you know, the Republicans play the Democrats in a fundraiser congressional baseball game, and Kat's one of the very few women that plays. I played softball. There's a softball game that the women always play the press. Now, I'm not a softball player. I always played basketball and track and volleyball. But when I got to D.C., they asked me to play softball. I thought that was enough of a challenge. But here, Kat signs up for the men's baseball team and plays with them and single-handedly wipes out the entire Democrat team. So <laughs> that, that made me love her. So, well, I think that, you know, she talked about that book, Wolfpack. And yes, that book, if anybody's going to go out there and buy it, it's, it's written by someone who's very liberal, but there's some lessons in there. 
The very first chapter of that book when I read it talked about the fairy tales and how we raise our children in this country. It talked about how a lot of times we as little girls are raised. Now, I was raised by a dad who was a cowboy. He's super tough. In fact, he was a lot like John Wayne. He was the guy that yelled up the stairs every day to wake us kids up. Get up. More people die in bed than anywhere else. And I don't even know if that was true. But so, I mean, he was just, we worked. That's all we did. We worked all the time except for Sundays. Sundays we were in church. Uh, But so that was the kind of dad I was raised by. And I have lived my entire life in a man's world. I drove trucks and I chased cows, rode horses, fixed fence, everything that I did. Even when I got elected to the legislature, I was one of the very few women that was there. When I got elected to Congress, very few women in Congress at that time. I'm the first female governor of my state of South Dakota, and the political class is all the good old boys club. So when Madison, who works for me, when she told me to read this book, I read the very first chapter, and it talked about what we tell our little girls when they're little. And, and even though I had lived and worked in a man's world my whole life, it resonated with me a lot. It talked about how from the time our kids are little, we tell them stories. And it used the analogy of the fact uh, of the story Little Red Riding Hood. And the message of Little Red Riding Hood is that she's going to her grandmother's house, if you remember that. And she's told to stay on the path. And as she's walking on the path, she'll be safe and she'll be okay. But when she gets off the path, that's where the big bad wolf is. That's where all the danger is. And so if you were a good little girl and you stay on the path and go to grandmother's house, you'll be okay. And the lesson it teaches is to stay on the path and don't take risks. And that when you get off the path and do something different, that's where something bad will happen. That's the dangerous thing. And what this woman said who wrote this book At the end of the chapter, she said, I wished that somebody had told me my whole life, and what you need to tell all of your young girls in your life is that you were never Little Red Riding Hood. You were always the wolf. That you were always the wolf. And I remember reading that thinking, oh my gosh, that's my whole life story. Because I was always different. I loved to do everything outside that the boys were doing. I loved, but everybody thought I was different because I wanted to do that. I even like to wear my brother's Sedgefield jeans. Does anybody remember Sedgefield jeans? I mean, that's only ranch kids wore those. They were like down at Tractor Supply for $15. But, you know, that was, and so my whole life I just thought, you know, I wish somebody would have told me it was okay to be the wolf. It was okay to be the person that was out there doing something that maybe was a little bit risky, maybe a little bit dangerous, but that was out there fighting for something instead of being someone who is safe and on the path. That's a little bit of of my story and my background. And and one of the things that I want to share with you a little bit tonight, a little bit later, is about the importance of having a value system. Because I think that a lot of what's broken in this country right now is we've forgotten who we are as Americans. And that's one of the things that we're doing to our children as well. One of the best things that my parents ever did for me is that they gave us impossible things to do. I thought every day my dad as a rancher was trying to kill us children. Honestly, I did. The jobs that he would give us to do, if there was a mean mother cow out there that needed to 
let her calf suck or something, he'd send us 10-year-old kids out there to go put her in the chute and to make that calf suck, right? Or he, I remember one of the biggest lessons that I got from him was the day that I was going to drive home from the field and I was going to ride with dad in the semi that was full of corn. We are just finishing harvest and he said, let's go back into the yard and we can be done for the night. And he started the semi down the road. I was 12 years old, sitting in the passenger seat when he remembered that he needed to bring another truck home. So he said, Christy, dive across the cab here, grab the wheel, take this thing home, make your corners wide, and I'll meet you there. I'll bring the other truck. And he jumped out the door. <laughs> and I was terrified. I had no idea how to drive a semi. So I grabbed the wheel, and I remember the first thing I started to do was cry because I had no idea how to drive or how I was going to get this thing home. I took the widest corners that you've ever seen, the seven miles home, and when I got into the farmyard, I couldn't even remember how to turn the truck off. So all I did was turn it off and let it drift to a stop. As soon as that truck stopped, the first thought that I had was, I cannot believe that I lived. <laughs> and the second thought that I had was, I bet I can drive anything now. And see, that's what I think we're stealing from our children today. We are crippling our children in this country. Because when we give our children hard things to do, we're making them into problem solvers. They have to figure it out and get it done. And when they accomplish something, when they get that problem solved, then they gain the confidence to take on the bigger challenge that's ahead of them and to go after and take on the bigger problems. We need a world full of problem solvers right now, don't we? Yes, we do. So I guess that's the advice I would have for you. Stop doing everything for your children. Give your children and your grandchildren impossible things to do. It's not our job to do everything for them. It's our job to prepare them for life, right? Now, I've got two grandbabies. Brian and I have three children and two grandbabies, which we are super happy about. And I'll tell you, for years, you grandparents really irritated me. Because you would talk all the time about how wonderful it is to be grandparents. And I would say, it can't possibly be that great. You know, but um, it, it really is. So Miss Addie is two and a half now, and Branch is nine months old, and he's just, he's just, big. He's round. He's 30 pounds. Can you imagine a nine-month-old that's 30 pounds? He's the happiest little baby you've ever seen in your entire life. But it is, I said to Cassidy one day, Miss Addie at um, my mom's birthday party the other day was trying so hard to learn how to tie her shoe. For an hour, she sat on the floor with me and was determined to, and when have you ever met a two-year-old who wanted to tie their shoe? I just said to Cassidy, I said, she is so much smarter than you were when you were a child. <laughs> And she said, she said, no, you just watch her all the time. You weren't paying attention to us. You were always working. But it's true. Being a grandparent is a fantastic gift that we are absolutely loving. Now, Brian would have been with me tonight, but he had the opportunity to go to a Twins game in Minneapolis yesterday, last night. So he did that. So you can all hold a grudge against him. I'm okay with that. I'll tell him that you were very upset he didn't make the trip. But I'm going to head back to South Dakota tonight. But I wanted to share a few thoughts with you before I did. Um, first of all, thank you so much for praying and blessing Israel tonight. Thank you so much for standing with them.
I hope this country still has the historical knowledge and the spiritual knowledge to realize what a monumental event is going on right there in the Holy Land. I hope we understand the consequences of it, and I hope we grasp the importance of standing strong with them. You're going to hear in about a week or two, politicians and leaders in this country start to waver in their support of Israel because it's going to get tough, and it's going to get ugly, and it's going to get politically unstable. And I'm going to ask all of you to hold leaders in this country accountable to standing with our greatest ally and God's chosen people in the Middle East. I mean, we argue over the most insane things in this country now. And, and it can get discouraging. You turn on the news in the morning and it takes you about five minutes before you want to turn it off. We're arguing over how to spend other people's money, which is insane. Why don't we just give it back to you and let you decide how to spend it? We're arguing over whether boys can play in girls' sports. That's a no-brainer. No, they can't. We argue over if people are boys or girls, which is the strangest thing I've ever heard of. Just even things that are basic science and knowledge, people are questioning now and picking fights over to divide people and to destroy people and really to destroy our republic. It's with an agenda to destroy what we know about ourselves and the values that we hold. Somebody asked me last week, I was speaking to a group and they were asking me questions and they said, it was a leadership course that I had the chance to go and talk to and they said, how do you make tough decisions? How do you make those difficult ones? Because you've had to make some tough ones in the state of South Dakota. I said, it is not difficult to make tough decisions when you have a foundation and a value system to make them from. Now, when I was elected governor in South Dakota, it, was, it happened to be that I was sworn in on the 100th anniversary of women in the state of South Dakota getting the right to vote. So I was the first woman governor being sworn in on the 100th anniversary of women even getting the right to go cast a vote. And it didn't really hit me because I've always, the fact that I was the first woman before that wasn't really a big deal to me until I was standing in the middle of our Capitol Rotunda raising my right hand and they were all talking about the importance and the significance of that day and the fact that this was going on. And I remember it hitting me suddenly how important and significant this was that I had been elected. And I thought to myself, I better not screw this up. So as I stood there with my hand raised and my, my other hand on my dad's Bible, I listened to the promises that I was making. And I was making two promises to the state of South Dakota. The first one was to uphold the Constitution of the state of South Dakota. The second one was to uphold the Constitution of the United States of America. Those were the only two promises I was making. So if you look back from that moment on, it hit me, these are the two things I'm committing to. And every decision had to come out of those. Every decision that I had to make came out of that basis. And so it made the difficult decisions easy. Yes, there was a lot of difficult decisions. But for instance, when I first got sworn in as governor, within a couple of months, our entire state got hit by a bomb cyclone. I don't know if any of you know what a bomb cyclone is. You haven't had that down here in Florida. But it is about six feet of snow that hit our western half of the state, six inches of rain that hit the eastern half of the state on frozen ground so the entire state flooded. 
63 of my 66 counties were declared federal disaster areas. So in 2019, I spent the entire year just dealing with FEMA and putting people back together and building water treatment plants and putting roads and bridges back in and helping people get into homes. And I thought for sure 2020 was going to be way better. <laughs> and then we got COVID. Now, I think I did what every other governor in this country did during COVID. I really do. We all went to our health experts. We all talked to people that were doctors and administrators and folks that had a lot of information and gathered and learned as much as we possibly could to be prepared for taking care of people in our states. I think what I did different was that I just took it a step further and I spent a lot of time with constitutional attorneys. I spent a lot of time with my general counsel because I really wanted to understand what my job was as governor and what my job wasn't. What authority did I have, but what authority I didn't have? Because I believe that when governors overstep their authority and when leaders overstep their authority, especially in a time of crisis, that that's when we break this country. And I didn't wanna be the governor to do that. So for instance, in South Dakota, we ended up being the only state that never once closed a single business or entity ever. In fact, I, in our state, I didn't even define what an essential business was because I don't believe that governors have the authority to tell you your business isn't essential. We never once mandated anything. We ended up being the only state in the country that when the president offered those elevated unemployment benefits, do you remember those? That we said, I said, thank you, Mr. President, for that flexibility, but we don't need it. Our people want to work. And they did. They kept working. We just broke the national record for the lowest unemployment rate in the history of the United States of America with 1.8%. South Dakota is doing phenomenally. I was shocked during the pandemic at how people used fear to control each other, how the government used fear to perpetuate their agenda. Because the government told people that they couldn't gather together, people rolled over and gave up their freedom of assembly. Because the government told people they couldn't go to church, they gave up their freedom of religion. Because the government told social media platforms who could post what and what they could say, people gave up their freedom of speech. I was shocked by how quickly people gave up their constitutional freedoms. That's when I realized how quickly we could see what we have here for our democracy and our republic disappear and why it was important every single day to show up with an attitude that we would live a life of significance, that whatever we were doing, we would make the best decisions we could to make a difference for the people that we are responsible for. We embraced personal responsibility. We gave people all the information that we had, but then trusted them to take care of each other and got through that challenging time together. Let me tell you where South Dakota is today. South Dakota now is growing at almost 10 times the national average. We have, when I ran for governor, I ran on a platform of building stronger families because I believe that a lot of what's wrong with this country is broken families. And I don't care what people's families look like. I just think you gotta have a family around you and support them so that we can have a lot of what helps people be successful in place. I also ran on growing our state. Before I became governor, South Dakota for 20 years had been declining. We had been losing people. 
We had been losing, our economy had been dropping, industries had been leaving, and people were moving out to get the careers that they wanted. And I campaigned on growing our state and bringing people back in and helping us thrive. Now we are growing at an incredible rate. We have incomes going up faster in South Dakota than anywhere else. Women-owned businesses are doing better than anywhere else. We have the low unemployment rate, the lowest one in the nation's history at 1.8%. We have an incredible amount of folks that are going out and seeing not only historic revenues into their own pocketbooks, but our state has broken every economic record that could possibly be done. We even have broken our hunting licenses sold and fishing licenses sold. We've gotten more people outside and we've set records for tourism and people that have come to our state because they wanted to visit and they wanted to be like us. And I think it's an incredible testimony to what can happen if you just tell your story and let people know that if they come and spend a little time with you, they'll be reminded what America feels like. And I think that's really what South Dakota has been able to show. We are doing fantastic. But I will tell you, this is what I think is why Democrats are working so hard to destroy me. Because you, all you have to do is Google me right now and you will see hit job after hit job after hit job. And I think the reason that Democrats and liberals are coming after and attacking Republican leaders, conservative leaders, people like me, and especially the state of South Dakota is because all we did in our state is what Republicans have always said that they believed. We just did it. And it worked. And it worked. And that's what I think is so powerful in this next election season is that we no longer have to talk about if you give us the opportunity to lead, what will happen? Because in South Dakota, all you have to do is point to our state, point to a great state like yours and show that if conservative principles and leaders are allowed to put into place the policies that impact families, it will work. They will do better. They will be happier. They will make more money. Their children will stay close to them and thrive because careers and opportunities are available to them. Listen, South Dakota is the only state in the country that throughout COVID, not only did people do better economically, but also our mental health challenges went down, our suicides went down, and we were the only state in the country where our drug overdoses are going down. It truly is. It truly is a story of what Republicans have always said we believed, and we've proven that it works, not just for you physically, but mentally and spiritually as well. There's a scripture verse somebody reminded me of, I think it was a young high school kid. We were talking just a couple days ago, but it's Isaiah 52. And we were talking a little bit about how most people view our country right now as a very dark time in history. But Isaiah 52, 7 talks about how lovely on the mountain are the feet of them that bring good news, proclaiming peace, announcing news of happiness that the God of Israel reigns, that the God of Israel still reigns. It's a powerful verse. And it's a good reminder for each of you today, I think, as well, that we can be different. We can draw people to us through our optimism, through our happiness, that, that we need people who really believe in Isaiah 52, 7. We want people to look forward to seeing us come, not people who, when they see us, they turn and go the other way. 
because we make them feel so terrible. How lovely are the feet of them that bring good news, proclaiming peace, announcing news of happiness. That's what we need to be to the world today. I'm going to ask you for a couple things before I leave tonight because, look, I'm, I'm not out of time. I have seven whole minutes to talk yet. All right. No, I can, I, can be, I can wrap up quicker than that. There's a couple things I want to ask you to do, though, before I leave. I had a pastor years ago say something to me. He said, Christy, sometimes people just need to get over themselves. And I think all of you here tonight need to look at yourself, too, and get over yourselves. He said, people are going to throw out offenses at you all the time. He said, when you walk by, people have gotten so offended by each other, they've quit talking to each other. We're not having conversations anymore. We live in a country that loves to be offended, don't we? Oh, I can't believe they said that. Oh my gosh, that's so horrible. Terrible people. Well, get over yourselves. People are going to throw offenses out at you all the time, but you are the ones who make the decision to bend over, pick it up, and carry it around with you. And then you are the ones carrying the burden. You are the ones walking around with that baggage. So I'm going to ask all of you to make a decision to just walk by those offenses and leave them lay, don't pick them up, and start having conversations with people again. We are not going to win this country, and Republicans are not going to get elected unless you start talking to people again. We've all got people that we know in our community that we don't talk to because they've offended us or we've offended them and we've just decided it was easier not to have those conversations. Get over yourselves. There's people at the gas station when you're filling your car up with gas that you can stop and say, hey, what do you think about such and such and such? And then what I'm gonna ask you to do is to listen. Everybody's so quick to tell everybody how they feel. How about we listen? Nobody feels like they're being heard anymore. If you do that, if you do that, we'll win some hearts and minds over by letting people know we really do care and we start building those relationships again. You have people in church you don't even talk to. How many of you guys have somebody in your church you don't talk politics with? Amen, sister. The second thing I'm going to ask you to do is to say yes. Some of you, if you've heard me speak before, you've probably heard me use this example before. But my grandmother was a tough, tough German woman. And she was more likely to give you something you could do better than to tell you something that you were doing right. Um, I admired her. She worked very, very hard all the time. But she was someone who very often didn't have a, a kind word for you. But I remember when I was having my first child, and I was about six months pregnant with Cassidy, they had a baby shower for me. And they invited all the ladies to come to someone's house and have a baby shower for me. And as they were going around the room, they asked all the women there to give me a piece of advice that I would need being a new mom. And you know, I went to a baby shower not too long ago and there was men there. Have any of you gone to a baby shower recently and they've included men in it? It, it like legit ruined the baby shower. So any of you men, if you get invited to a baby shower, do not go. It, it really ruined the whole thing. You couldn't talk about certain things. You couldn't, yeah, the men are okay with that. If you get invited, it is totally okay if you say, I'm not going to that. I don't know how that got started, but it was a bad idea. Anyways, at this baby shower, they got around and were giving me advice, and it got to my grandmother. And my grandmother said, Christy, 
you need to say yes as much as you possibly can because so many times as a mom, you have to say no. And it just struck me as something so different, such a different piece of advice than I ever would have gotten from her that I decided that day I didn't want to be a mom who said no all the time. I wanted to be a mom who said yes to my kids. So if my kids growing up, if they wanted to jump in a mud puddle on Easter Sunday, we did it. They wanted to race down the driveway, we did it. If they wanted to do something crazy, we did it. And I was a mom who said yes. But I also decided to apply it to my life. And I decided to apply it to opportunities that people would bring to me. Now listen, I grew up dreaming of being a farmer and rancher. The only reason that I'm governor today is because when people asked me to do things, I said yes. It's because people asked me to show up at a meeting or to go to something or to be a part of a group. And I didn't know if I would like it. I didn't know if it would be something I'd be interested in. But I decided to say yes, and I did that. I'm going to encourage all of you to start saying yes. This world tells you that you're too busy, that you need to say no, you need more time to yourself and not be so crazy. I'm going to challenge you to do the exact opposite. You need to say yes when people ask you to do things. You may find a gift or a talent that you didn't know that you had. You guys don't know this, but I'm an introvert. I am. So my husband is an extrovert. He is the life of the party everywhere he goes. You got the boring one tonight. Um, But I love people, and I love being around people. But if I'm going to go do something that's super relaxing for me, is I'll probably go sit in a deer stand. Um, Or I'll, yeah, go, go ride horse or something. So to be up here giving speeches and to doing interviews is very different for me. But people gave me an opportunity to go to meetings, When I took over my dad's business when he passed away, I was very upset because the death tax hit our family very hard and we almost lost our family business. So I started going to meetings and people gave me opportunities. And when I I said yes, I ended up in different positions, which is how I ended up to be governor of South Dakota. I'd encourage everybody in this room, you never know, even if you're gonna go be a part of a group or a committee or something you're asked to do, You may meet somebody there that will change your life forever. You may meet somebody there that becomes your next mentor or your next boss. So I would encourage you that if somebody asks you to do something, to say yes to it. You're going to have a candidate walk up to you and ask you for help. You need to say yes. They ask you to go knock on doors, say yes. They need you to write a bigger check, say yes. We do not get good people by sitting on the sidelines. All it takes for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing, right? And I always hold close this little comment from Margaret Thatcher because I always thought she was kind of a rock star. She was one tough lady. But she said, if my critics saw me walking on water, they would say it was because I couldn't swim. (laughs) Which I think is kind of great because I can't swim. I'm terrible at it. But everybody's a critic. Everybody's a critic. Don't let it bother you. Let the offenses go. Say yes to helping people. This country is too, too wonderful to let it go. I have never would have dreamed a country could change so much in five years. Think about how different this country was just five years ago. And then think about all these little kiddos that we're going to leave here in 20 to 30 years and what kind of a world that they'll be living in. And where will we go if we lose it? Where will we go if we don't have the United States of America? There is nowhere else. So say yes. Be optimistic.
Be the people that people love to see coming, bringing happiness and stories of peace. You are the hope. You are the people that will change this country. And you are the people that I'm believing in to go out and tell the story that Republican values and principles work and that they still are the way to preserve our greatest hope. Thank you so much for letting me be with all of you. Have a wonderful evening. God bless. It's a special event on News Talk 97.3 The Sky this evening. We are replaying the Alachua Republicans Ronald Reagan black tie and blue jeans barbecue. More in just a moment on 97.3 The Sky. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.